Well, good morning again. Uh, it's always great to be led by our teams here at UBC. I feel like we have been gifted with such strong worship leaders in our church, and I'm grateful for them. Um, this morning, uh, you know, as we said earlier, today is our first day with our east location being open. So uh, I want everybody to just turn around and look right at these three cameras that are right back here and just give a hearty wave to all of our friends over at east. Hello, over there. Now all of you who are at east, give us a wave back. We all saw it. We all saw it. Uh, hey, if you don't know me yet, my name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, you know, we... This, this, this morning, I think it's probably important for me to let you know that I decided to go ahead and fire Jason. Um, I told him he had about eight or nine days to get his junk in order in Myrtle Beach, and then he could come back. Um, no, Jason is on vacation, getting a much-needed vacation this week. So this weekend, uh, you'll get to hear from me. Next weekend, you'll get to hear from Scott Dixon, one of our elders. Um, but I am grateful uh, to be able to share with you this morning, to be a part of this Lord's Prayer series. We've been in this series on the Lord's Prayer for a couple weeks, and it's interesting, the Lord's Prayer, that part of Matthew 6, that wasn't really where we had planned to go this fall. We had a different ser sermon series in mind. We thought, you know, we were going to be doing, uh, we thought we were going to be talking about how we see Jesus through the Old Testament. And that's still going to come at some point in the future. It's still one that we're excited about, but we we just really started paying attention to where things have been in the last year and a half. Our elders especially got together and they were really looking at, man, where is the church going over the next few years? And we just thought, man, if there's anything we really need to focus in on, it's prayer. We need to be a praying church. We have to be a praying church in order to be ready for what the Lord has for us coming up. And what better way for us to really tackle that topic than to look at the words of Jesus himself saying, this is how you should pray. So that's where we decided to go with this Lord's Prayer series. Um, you know, so we are excited to be in this series. You know, my family has been here at UBC for a couple years now. Many of you have gotten to know my family. Uh, I, I have a lot of kids. Uh, my, my family brings the noise everywhere that we go. I have five children. Many of you who have gotten to know those children, they like to serve with you in the kids' teams or the welcome teams. They like to make all the noise for our student ministry and our kids' ministry. You know, I love my kids. I feel like I am blessed to have five awesome kids. Uh, but my five kids that are so awesome and such a blessing are also not perfect. Uh, they, like their dad, are not perfect. Um, and uh, there is one of my children in particular who has a pretty regular trend. And this regular trend is to hear a conversation that's going on, well, really hear a part or a snippet of a conversation that's going on and assume that this child knows everything about the conversation and just interject themselves into it uh, as though they know everything about the conversation too. And they will just jump in with the most off the wall, left field, it, part of this that doesn't make any sense. Like, so for example, uh, my friend Jeff is right over here. Jeff, I see you, you got a cup down there. What's in your cup? Coffee. You like coffee? Yeah, so it, isn't it interesting? Your wife is kind of the one who's responsible for helping there be coffee here on Sunday mornings, right? Does your wife like coffee? She does not like coffee. Uh, so your wife who helps serve coffee doesn't like coffee, uh, but she likes all of you, which is why she helps serve coffee here. Uh, are you particular about the way your coffee's made? Yes. 
No, okay. Are you particular about where you get your coffee? Where do you like to get your coffee from? My house. <laughs> your house, okay. So maybe not like a, a Starbucks or a Dunkin' or anything like that, right? It's just uh, you got to make it at home. All right. See, I, I can appreciate that. Now, if my child were to hear us having this conversation, it is not unlikely that my child would interject into this conversation. Don't you think Bill's Donuts are the best around? Yeah. Yeah, and everybody who knows would say, well, yeah, Bill's Donuts is the, that's the best donut shop in town, but child of mine, where, where did, why, what made you think about this? And he said, well, you guys were talking about donuts. No, we weren't. We were talking about coffee. Well, you said Duncan. Yeah. We were talking about coffee. And he said, well, Duncan is donuts and Bill's Donuts is better than Dunkin' Donuts, so Bill's, uh, that's, that's what you were talking about. That's what my child would do in an, I mean, that's a weekly experience in our house. Maybe some of you can relate, maybe some of your children do the same thing, but in our house, it's kind of become this, like, this hilarious thing that happens on a regular basis, and why? Because my child is really good at kind of hearing one little thing and kind of missing the whole big point. If we're not careful, we can do the very exact same thing with Scripture. You know, we kind of look at one thing and assume we know everything about that one thing and what that thing is about, and we end up taking it out of context. We end up not even just taking it out of context. We end up just missing the big point altogether. And did you know that the Lord's Prayer, this this teaching on how to pray, do you know it's not the big point? It is part of a grander point. And actually, that grander point falls even in an even bigger point. Because this, just as Scott was saying a couple weeks ago, the Lord's Prayer falls into something called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus talking to all those who would wish to follow him and saying, if you're going to follow God, it will be different than what you have known. It will be upside down compared to what you have experienced Scott called it the upside-down kingdom two weeks ago. Jesus is doing that through the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying this is not like just what you've seen and experienced in your religious uh, culture of the day. To truly follow God will be different. And he shows us that throughout these, two cha- throughout these three chapters, he shows us it with sta- statements like this. Uh, you know, who's blessed? Not the rich or the powerful, but the weak. And the poor in spirit and the persecuted, they're the ones who are blessed. Maybe you thought you should live for you, but I'm saying you should be salt and light for the good of others. Maybe you thought you lived and died by the law, but what if I came to complete the law? You thought you were good as long as you don't kill someone. But if you remain unreconciled with a brother, it's like the same thing. You assumed you were okay as long as you don't cheat on your spouse. But I'm telling you that if you look lustfully at them, inside it's the same. You've heard an eye for an eye. But how about you choose grace instead? You've heard hate your enemies, right? No. Love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. 
This is some of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, and it is upside down. It is very different, and it strikes some of us. It hurts some of us, and imagine in their day how crazy some of this must have been. And you know what's funny is a lot of this was in the Old Testament too. But as religious cultures tend to do, it's very easy. It's very easy for us to miss the important things because we've grabbed on the things that we really like or we've turned things into something that works for us. So we miss a lot of the important things and a lot of the people of Jesus' day did the same thing. So when Jesus is in this Sermon on the Mount, he's saying to follow the Lord will be different. To follow the Lord will be upside down. To follow the Lord will not be of this world. Why? Because God's not of this world. It's gonna be different. So the big picture of the Sermon on the Mount is this upside down life. Well, within the Sermon on the Mount, there are these kind of modes of teaching that Jesus does. And where we're at with the Lord's Prayer in chapter six, you know the big point of chapter six, something that's repeated over and over and over again in chapter six is not how to pray, it's don't be a hypocrite. Do you know in chapter six, that's the most repeated thing. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. In verses one and two, don't be a hypocrite when you're giving to the needy. In verse five, don't be a hypocrite when you're praying in public. In verse seven, don't be a hypocrite when you're praying in private. Verse 16, don't be a hypocrite when you're fasting. Verse 32 and 33, don't be a hypocrite when you're determining what's the most important. So the Lord's prayer that falls in the middle of this, this is a template for genuine, real, worshipful prayer. This is not empty religion, it's not trying to be impressive, and it's not pretending to be something that we're not. It falls within the point of to follow God is to be a genuine, authentic, real, worshipful follower of God. Not just one who does it because you're part of a churchy culture. A lot of you might have grown up in church, been around religious talk a lot of your life. But Jesus looks at them the same way he would look at us this morning and say, I don't care about your church attendance. I don't care about whether or not you choose better words than other people. I don't care which radio stations you listen to. What I care about is your heart. Do I have it? Do I have your heart? That real, worshipful, God-following way is what this whole Sermon on the Mount is about and what chapter six is really focusing in on. So then when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we can see if we want to be a genuine follower of God, then prayer will be a part of it. And that prayer cannot be something we do just to check off a list. It can't be something we do in order to impress somebody else. That prayer has to be real, genuine communication with the Lord. So that's what he's teaching us. And two weeks ago, Scott brought us into verses 9 and 10, and he showed us that kingdom prayer sees God as both father and king. Last week, Jason took us further into verse 11 about how kingdom prayer sees God as both the provider and the provision. This week, we focus in on verse 12. We're going to read the whole Lord's Prayer together, but we're going to focus on that one verse. And one of the things we do here at UBC is we try to show reverence for the, Lord's, uh, for the word of the Lord as often as we can, in big ways and in small ways. And one of the ways that we do that is we just tend to stand when we read it together. 
And that just shows us like what we're reading, it's worth paying attention to. So just as a way of kind of giving us a, a, a physical posture that matches our heart posture this morning, would we just stand out of respect for God's word? If you're able, go ahead and stand and let's read Matthew 6 verses 9 through 13 together. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, there is no one else like you. Lord, you've shown us time and time again that your way is perfect, so help us today to want what you want. Lord, we want you to be pleased with what you see and hear from UBC today. And God, we walk it, we just know we need your grace. And we pray that as we receive more of it, that we'd also be ready to reflect it today. Guard our hearts, Lord, show us the right way. Lord, even as we say we love you, we know we need your help to love you even more. It's all through Jesus that we get to pray this this morning. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. As I said, our focus this morning is really verse 12. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts even as we also forgive our debtors. It shows us that kingdom prayer, kingdom prayer is mercy-minded. That's kind of the big deal of this verse. It's actually not that complex. It's not complicated, it's probably easy to understand right away. I'm not going to share anything that's probably brand new revelation. (laughs) But to pray in a genuine, real, worshipful, God-following way, our prayers must be mercy-minded. And first, our kingdom prayer must acknowledge our own need for mercy. Verse 12 starts with, forgive us our debts. Well, what kind of debts do we owe God? Maybe you walk in here today and that's a question you genuinely don't know the answer to. Well, what debts do I owe God? Or maybe you walk in here today and you are extremely aware of the debts that you owe the Lord. See, the kind of debts that we owe God, the Bible tells us that every single sin is an attack on the relationship with God that we were made for. Each sin is an attack on God himself. And our unbelieving state That record of debt, that record of sin is the very thing that condemns us to hell, separated from God. That's why we need God. That's why we need mercy. We need a savior. And when God covers us in that mercy, that's when we get to experience salvation. So for everyone here who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, my hope today is that you would see that your greatest need is the mercy of God. Hebrews 9 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Each sin put Jesus on the cross. His was the blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That's a debt we couldn't repay. That's a debt we could work our whole lives doing all the best deeds we could And we'd still never be able to repay the price of his life on the cross. 
So again, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you don't know what it is to truly follow him, my hope is that today you will see your greatest need is his mercy, his forgiveness to cover you. But I also hope that you will see that your great need for that mercy is met with his willingness to give it. Your great need for mercy is met with his willingness to give it. But for the believer, we know that when we put our faith in Jesus, what was granted to us was Jesus' holiness on top of our unholiness. Our covering is now a covering of righteousness, not our own sinfulness. So even in our believing state, we are covered, yet we still sin. We're still dummies. We make mistakes all the time. And in our unbelieving state, that, sin, that, that would be the record of debt against us. But in our believing state, that debt has been canceled. One time, once and for all. Hallelujah. But what does that sin do? Even in our believing state. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, that sin, it messes with the relationship that God has intended for us. It messes with the closeness that we were made for him. So as we walk in today, each one of us, whether you're here as a follower of Jesus or as one who doesn't even really know what that means to follow Jesus yet, each one of us walk in here greatly in need of the mercy of God. We need it. You guys have heard me quote a book that has meant a lot to me a few times in sermons before. It's a book called A Gospel Primer for Christians, and it's by a guy named Milton Vincent. And this pastor, he writes some just very short, kind of simple thoughts on why the gospel is good news in this book. And one of them, he he writes here, he says, the gospel reminds me first that what I actually deserve from God is a full cup churning with the torments of his wrath. This is the cup that would be mine to drink if I were given what I deserve each day. With this understanding in mind, I see that to be handed a completely empty cup from God would be cause enough for infinite gratitude. If there were merely the tiniest drop of blessing contained in the otherwise empty cup, I should be blown away by the unbelievable kindness of God toward me. But that God, in fact, has given me a cup that is full of every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this, without the slightest admixture of wrath, leaves me truly dumbfounded with inexpressible joy. As for my, specifically, as my specific earthly circumstances of plenty or want, I can see them always as an infinite improvement on the hell that I deserve. See, we walk in greatly needing mercy, but God is great to give it. God is great to give it. And kingdom prayer acknowledges our need for that mercy. That's what kingdom prayer does. It acknowledges our need for mercy, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 12 doesn't stop with forgive our debts. It goes on to say, as we also have forgiven our debtors, because kingdom prayer is not just acknowledging our need for mercy. Kingdom prayer demands our willingness to extend mercy. See, some of us walk in today with scars and deep wounds from hurts in our past. We walk in today having experienced things that no person should have to experience. Unfaithful spouses, murdered loved ones, abuse, 
false accusations, lies, the list could go on and on, and that's just some of the things of our people right here in our church family. Those things are very real. And I will never minimize the pain that you've had to experience. I will never make light of how heavy those things can be to carry. Back in April, Jason actually preached a great sermon uh, Uh, In our Asking for a Friend series, he preached a sermon on what if I don't want to forgive that person? And I think he addressed it very, very well. I won't redo that whole sermon here this morning. But truthfully speaking, I don't know how much I've really had to do that in my life. I've had some, probably not many of the things that I just listed there, but I've had to do some Uh, There was a time not too long ago when I found myself on the receiving end of some falsehoods and some lies about me and about some of my closer friends. And I remember just feeling hurt. And uh, I think part of what got me was just the fact that it was coming from people that I loved, people that I cared about for a long time. And something about it just cut deep. Because those were my people, yet for some reason, they were not only believing lies about me, they were telling lies about me and spreading them and making decisions based on those lies. And, you know, I found myself just kind of uh, seeking counsel from a friend and just trying to figure out what to do. And that friend just so happens to be one of our elders named Scott Dixon. We were sitting at this Starbucks right down the street here on Fairfield. And I'm just kind of airing all this out like, I can't believe this. What in the world's going on? Why would this be the case? What? And Scott, you know, he's very gracious in the way that he listens and the response. But he said something to me that morning. And he just said, hey, you have reason to be angry. But you have to be careful not to let their sin become your sin. Your anger at their sin could become your sin to deal with. That sin could become your platform. That anger could become your platform. He saw that I was teetering between this righteous indignation and this unforgiving bitterness. And I was. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today. Those hurts, man, they carry deep, deep weights. And so then when we hear Jesus say if we want to pray and ask for forgiveness of our sins, we have to be ready to extend that forgiveness to other people. Man, it just feels so hard. Forgiveness is hard. It's a burden to carry. But I want to make sure that we remember the context of this isn't even a lesson really on for forgiveness. This is, he's talking about prayer in this moment, and he's talking about prayer that comes from a genuine, worshipful heart that wants to follow God. Not hypocrites, right? So it would be hypocritical to seek forgiveness without granting it. And it's normal to ask, normal to pray and ask for forgiveness of our own sins, but it's tied to an understanding that to pray and ask for forgiveness of our own sins, we have to be ready to extend forgiveness for the sins of others as well. Doing both keeps us genuine. Receiving forgiveness and extending forgiveness is what keeps us genuine. It's what proves it to be true. 
This is especially interesting within the church, among believer to believer. You know, uh, there's a lot of instruction in the church, or a lot of instruction for how the church is supposed to carry themselves together. And many of the challenges are about the way we love one another, the way that we walk with one another. In fact, Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive one another. That language of bearing with one another is translated in other translations as making room for each other's faults. Do you ever think about carving out space in your life and in your heart and in your mind? Carving out space for the faults of others. We tend to react to the faults of others. That's our tendency. Someone is not perfect. We are shocked by that. And in our shock, we then respond with anger or sadness or whatever might come. Now, I'm not, again, not minimizing that people hurt each other, but I am saying, what if ahead of time, we made room in our hearts and in our minds to say, I can't expect my brother to be perfect when I know that I'm not. Therefore, I'm gonna have a disposition about me that is ready to forgive. I'm gonna pray and ask the Lord, help me to be ready to forgive. I know I will need to forgive somebody soon. Make me ready to forgive. Not just reacting and hoping I take it well, but ahead of time. When we, as believers with one another, when we look at other believers and we withhold forgiveness from other believers, and I mean, anybody who has spent much time in church probably has some degree of church hurt. That, unfortunately, is just what comes with a family full of broken people. But when we withhold forgiveness from one another, do we realize that what we're doing is we're trying to make them pay a second time for what Jesus already paid for on the cross. We're saying what Jesus did on the cross was not quite enough. So until I'm ready to forgive you, I'm just going to put that on pause. I'm going to withhold for now. What we really want is a double payment when Jesus said it was one time, once and for all. So, if we can learn to bear with one another, to endure with one another, to tolerate one another, and real tolerance, not the tolerance we hear about all over in our culture today, but real tolerance that says, you will not get it right, and I won't get it right. How about we try to just not get it right together? That kind of bearing with one another is something that we have to choose in our hearts ahead of time. Because we won't always react that well. But why would Jesus encourage us to look at it this way? Why would the, the, the command for the followers of Jesus to, to, be, to, to act this way? Because that's God's disposition. That's his way of relating to us is one with a constant disposition of mercy. So we as his followers must be people with the disposition of mercy as well. So we can't be a genuine Christ follower who is unwilling to forgive. It doesn't go together. It's not genuine. Can't be proven to be true. See, if 
Christ is a forgiver. His followers have to be forgivers. We can't delight in our own forgiveness and deny that forgiveness to someone else. It would be like saying, Jesus, can you forgive me for murdering you? I don't really want to talk about what they've done to me. See, it just doesn't, doesn't go together. It doesn't make sense, right? Jesus goes on later, just the, the couple verses after he teaches us how to pray in verse 14 and 15, again, telling us not to be a hypocrite. He looks at us and he says in verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your, will your Father forgive your trespasses. And he's not saying, hey, your salvation is dependent upon whether you're willing to forgive all the time. He's saying, if you truly have salvation, you will be willing to forgive. Your heart must move towards forgiveness. Because if you're not willing to follow God, you can't be covered by him. And if your unforgiveness keeps you from being willing to follow God, then your unforgiveness has become your God. Your unforgiveness has become your idol, and like all idols, it will destroy you. So confess your sin of unforgiveness and experience the transforming power of God even in that, even in those hard, sensitive places. And as hard as that challenge is, remember, ultimately, this isn't about forgiveness. This is about prayer. How to pray like a genuine follower of God. Kingdom prayer acknowledges our need for mercy and it demands our willingness to extend it because kingdom prayer is mercy-minded. That's kingdom prayer. So how can we as the church pray mercy-minded prayers? How can we do that? Well, first, we have to regularly confess our sin. We have to regularly confess our sin, not so that we can be re-saved, follower of Jesus, but because it shows our submission to him as the king and the father. It brings our hearts and minds back to the desire for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. That's what confession of sin does. It says, Lord, I've been acting outside the kingdom, but I know I'm part of it and I'm sorry. It brings us back into that place of remembering you're, you're the one. You get to set the expectations and You've, I, I've been, it's not been coming through. But confession of sin also kills the coldness that comes from that loss of fellowship that sin loves to create. Confession of sin reminds us that God welcomes us close, even in our sinful state. I love the, the passage that says that he sits on a throne of grace. He tells us to come boldly before a throne of grace. All of us failures, all of us people who get it wrong more than we get it right, all of us who need mercy, he says, come, find my grace. Confessing our sin helps us remember that he is a God of grace and it kills the coldness that sin loves to create. So how else can we pray mercy-minded prayers? We dwell on his willingness to forgive. And for the believer, we need to remember it's not just his willingness to forgive, it's his guarantee that he has forgiven. 
So you don't just seek forgiveness, be enamored by it. As you dwell on his forgiveness of you, he will help you do that. And others, I I love, again, that same book, A Gospel Primer for Christians. Milton Vincent says, doing good and showing love to those who have wronged me is always the opposite of what my sinful flesh wants me to do. Nonetheless, when I remind myself of my sins against God and of his forgiving and generous grace toward me, I give the gospel an opportunity to reshape my perspective and to put me in a frame of mind wherein I actually desire to give this same grace to those who have wronged me. Dwell on his mercy. Dwell on his forgiveness. And then third, ask for God's help to forgive others in the same way that we have been forgiven. Romans 12.1 says, in view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves over as living sacrifices. Seeing God's mercy causes us to want to be a living example of the greatest sacrifice. Jesus, seeing his mercy will make us want to do likewise and we can pray and ask the Lord, God, build in my heart a bigger capacity for mercy. Let me extend the mercy that I have received. Offer yourself as a living example of how Jesus has offered himself to us. You know, as we finish, as we've been doing every time in this series, we are going to finish just with a time of praying together. Uh, Band members, you guys can go ahead and come on up. But as we move into this time of prayer, we're going to do this a little bit different than we've done the last couple weeks. We're first going to have a time of just personal prayer. This topic that we're talking through today, confessing our own sins, being willing to forgive others. There's a degree of that that is very much personal. And it hits deep and close to home. And there might be some things that you need to handle on your own first. So we're going to give you a couple minutes just to pray on your own. And there'll be some prompts up here on the screen just for how to pray through that time. But then after a couple minutes of that, one of our deacons, Drew Clemens, he's going to come and he's going to kick us off into our time of public prayer. And he's going to lead us into our time of where you then, in boldness, get to stand and you get to pray. And this is a time, again, this is for reading scripture or praying. This isn't a time to share thoughts and to, you know, uh, give a testimony or anything like that. This is a time to read scripture and to pray. And everybody feels awkward about this. You know, everybody hates being the awkward first one. But just know, like, this is part of how a family works together. So in boldness, let's talk to the Father together. And let's seek his will and his way together. And after that time of praying all together comes to an end, Ethan will close us in prayer and lead us into our closing song this morning. But my encouragement, as you, lead, as you head into these prayer times, seek the Lord. See if there's stuff in you that needs to be confessed. See if there's unforgiveness in you that needs to be dealt with. And then let's seek him on behalf of each other and us as a church to be a church that will follow him not only in receiving more mercy, but being willing to extend it. Let's do that.